G'day and welcome to season two of Harvestable by AgriDigital. Our eight-part mini-series will feature raw and unedited fireside chats with some of agriculture's most insightful minds, sharing their perspectives across the grain supply chain. In this episode, we're joined by Campbell Roydhouse, founder of Ceres Alpha. Now, before we get started, a quick note to say all information contained on any AgriDigital podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional financial, legal, or tax advice. Hi, this is Henry Walsh from AgriDigital for the Harvestable podcast for Harvest 22-23. Today, we've got Campbell Roydhouse, the founder of Ceres Alpha, to talk about uh, the macro situation for grains markets, and in particular, uh, Ukraine and Russia, and the impact of that on on futures markets. G'day, Cam. How are you? Good, Henry. Yeah, good to be with you. Um, before we get into some Q and A, do you want to just give the listeners a bit of background um, from you know early beginnings and what you're up to today? Sure, no problem. Well, look, I've been in um, in the agricultural trading business for for over twenty years. I started work out of uni at the Australian Wheat Board. Um, in those days, we had the single desk. Um, but my last role there was was on the domestic trading uh, desk, uh, trading the wheat book. Um, following that, I, I ended up getting offered a job with Louis Draper's Commodities in Singapore in 2007, trading their grains desk. Um, and following that, I ended up working for uh, Goldman Sachs uh, running their agricultural trading business from, from Singapore. More recently, uh, a few of us in that team um, took our trading uh, business outside of uh, the bigger corporate model. We raised capital in 2019 and that, that led to the beginning of, of Ceres Alpha, which, which is an agricultural trading and risk management business based in Singapore, but I'm lucky enough now to be um, based in Geelong, back home in uh, Australia. Awesome. Great story. As I said at the beginning, we wanted to have a talk about uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on, on the grains market um, and, the, and the, you know, the sanctions on trade flows and things like that. So do you want to just help the listeners and sort of you know, maybe backtrack a little bit to that time and, and the impacts we've seen over the course of this year? Sure. Look, it, it, it certainly had a huge impact on the flow. Um, out of the Ukraine. Uh, if we look at the sort of the pre-war flow of grain, a lot of it, uh, or the vast majority of, of grain and oil seeds coming out of the Ukraine went by, by the bulk freight market in the Black Sea, uh, in, in vessels, Panamax vessels, etc. When When Russia invaded Ukraine, access to, to that flow um, came to an abrupt halt. Um, and basically stayed that way until the export corridor uh, was negotiated in August. Um, and of course, over the weekend, we find out that that corridor is no longer uh, available um, to the Ukrainians. So certainly had a pretty wild ride in terms of, of flow. To, to, to dig into a little bit into the detail of, of what that meant for the grain markets, um, when the bulk exports were shut off. Uh, the Ukrainians were, they were pretty good actually at ramping up the flow of road and rail 
grain exports across uh, cross borders to places like Romania and Poland, um, with a lot of it going by Romania. And the last few months, they were able to get up to around 3 million tonnes of grain, total grain flow across borders uh, by road and rail. When you look at the wheat situation, they've been able to get roughly 600 to 700,000 tonnes of wheat via road and rail out of the Ukraine without going via, via the ports. Um, but we, we think that flow is pretty well capped at around 3 million tonnes and, and it hasn't really been that focused on wheat. Wheat, unfortunately, has relied more on the export corridor out of, out of the Black Sea via boat. So in the last three months where they have had access to the grain corridor, um, wheat, wheat flow has ramped up to around 1.2 million tonnes a month. So from zero, uh, before the corridor was open to around 1.2. So the, the impact of this corridor closure over the weekend is quite significant for wheat, given that roughly 60% of all wheat flow in the last few months with the corridor open has been out of the out of those ports. So if you put it into big numbers, I suppose, Henry, I, I, I think we've lost, with the announcement over the weekend, um, over the June, July or July, June shipping year, roughly, roughly 10 million tonnes of, of wheat exports, given that they just won't be able to get it out via the ports. But there's a few assumptions there and, and a lot of moving parts. The assumption is that we don't open that corridor again or we don't get a resolution in the war or something else doesn't happen. But under that assumption, yeah, the flow of wheat uh, has been impacted significantly over the weekend and, and from the war, which began back in March as well. Yeah, it's it's an it's you know dreadful in terms of the you know the impact to to people that were counting on that wheat, especially you know after getting it reopened not that long ago. Um, in terms of the sanctions that have been on Russian wheat and how that's impacted where Russian wheat has gone, and I saw the the ability for Ukrainian wheat to be reclassified as Russian wheat and come out in a different different way or shape or form. Do you think that holds any hope for sort of more liquidity in the export market or it's it's unlikely at this point? Well, I think the, the sanctions, it's been difficult to t determine what that has done to the destination of Russian and Ukrainian uh, wheat and corn. We, we Unfortunately, uh, with the war uh, came a lack of information, particularly on the Russian side. So we're not really sure. But what we have seen is Russian wheat getting out. We're forecasting roughly 40 million tonnes of Russian wheat will get out during the shipping the shipping year, uh, which is which is a good number. Um, we do know that two plus million tonnes of Ukraine wheat has been stolen. That's that's a that's a rough number, but it's certainly a big number that has come out of the conflict zones back into Russia. And I suppose the risk is there that we're double counting some of that grain, but we just won't know for for a long time how much that how much that is in terms of quantity. But look, I think we I don't think the sanctions have had that greater impact really on the flow of, of um, food product. I, th I think uh, crude oil etc would be different, but we haven't seen a huge impact in terms of destination anyway. Moving on in terms of plantings and productions for you know the season that's you know just passed, I suppose, and then the upcoming winter plantings in in Ukraine. 
or just in general in the region, how much do you think that's going to be impacted? Because obviously trade flow has been impacted, but, you know, production has been as well. Yeah, trade flow has been impacted, as we said, but I think that the, the bigger impact here is on, uh, on acreage loss in the Ukraine. Um, and this, this impact won't really be felt until next year because, because we did shut the ports off. They've been, the, the stock situation obviously has gone up in the Ukraine, but what we're predicting is a sharp decrease in acres. I think before the war, say 21, 22, the Ukraine harvest 7.4 million uh, hectares of wheat. Uh, in 22, 23, that, that's fallen to 4.9 and 23, 24, we're forecasting another fall to 4.7 million hectares. So you know, we've lost from pre-war to, to this planning campaign, which is just, just winding up 2.7 million hectares, uh, which, is, which is a huge problem for the, you know, the global or for the Ukraine in particular, but also for the global wheat balance sheets moving forward because you can't get that acreage back. They tend not to grow spring wheat in the Ukraine. It's a winter wheat crop. But look, the other problem they've got is uh, there's a lack of labour. Uh, obviously, in the conflict zones, it's difficult to plant anything. Um, the input, the inputs are difficult to get. Fertilisers is, is a problem, and and chemicals as well. So we're also forecasting a cut in yield from something like you know four. They normally would get above four tons to the hectare in that part of the world, down to more like 3.75 and 21, 22, they were 4.45 down to 3.75 uh, for this coming season. So you know, the crop's gone from 33 million tonnes in total down to a forecast of roughly 17 for 23, 24. So obviously a, a massive reduction in production out of that, out of the Ukraine. And do you think it's been an equal impact across uh, all crops, like corn and, and some of the oil seeds and sunflowers, et cetera? We think, oh, look, probably more impact on some of the more specialty crops that need uh, more intensive fertiliser, like corn, for example, tends to use more nitrogen. Uh, we think that may be more impacted than wheat. Um, sunflowers as well. So I think everything will be impacted, but um, probably some of the specialty crops that retire, require more inputs will be more impacted, I would think. I suppose one of the... Before we move on to some of the other secondary impacts, you, you have mentioned fertilizer a couple of times. Um, obviously, that market went a lot higher post um, invasion and then has dropped a long way. Sounds like the outlook's not that favourable, at least from a farmer's perspective. No, I mean, I, I, when you cut off China, if you turn look at global nitrogen flow. I mean, Russia and and um, China with thirty percent of that flow, and both those markets have shut off exports. So, I don't think the fertilizer um, problem has, has gone away positions during that time. But at a higher level, I just ran the open interest chart for the Chicago, which is generally the one you know, people focus on, and the aggregate aggregate open interest, which is across all all futures contracts. Pre-war was hovering around four hundred and fifty thousand contracts. After the blow up and, and the invasion, we went all the way down to sort of, you know, towards 300,000 contracts of open interest. So certainly the numbers tell you that we lost a lot of participants in the market after that situation um, in March, April. And re more recently, it started to bounce back up a little bit. So it looks like people are starting to come back to the market and use that again for the reasons they need to, to use it for. Yeah. 
do you think then that means there's just the whole physical market's likely to become more shorter term and in a sense people won't want to take more deferred risk and be able to hedge it with derivatives, do you think? I think I think so. I think unfortunately um, when when you have those problems in the market and a complete dislocation from cash markets, people lose faith in using you know global futures as a hedging tool. I, I think that's a mistake because uh, those that got out, it probably got out at the wrong time during that blow up. In hindsight, it was actually a terrific hedging opportunity, but obviously you've got to be able to fund your margins and, and manage the P&L of those positions. But often in hindsight, those situations look like a, a great time to hedge your physical positions. Uh, and just to, just to wrap up, obviously we've had some issues here in Australia with flooding. You know, we've gone from drought a few years ago to flooding now. Do you think that is well understood by the global grain markets at the moment or its focus is so much on Ukraine and Russia, it's sort of getting forgotten? I think it's been overlooked a little bit, Henry. I think that participants in our grain markets, futures markets at least these days, are more uh, macro CTA type participants rather than fundamental traders. I think the percentage of trade now that are fundamental and run balance sheets and, and really drill down on quality, for example, in Australia as a, is a much smaller part of the market. But I think it's quite a big deal. The quality, whether it's a big crop or we're losing some production, the quality is certainly going to be a challenge. And, and that doesn't help solve the milling weight shortage that we can get from issues like Ukraine and, and other problems we've got around the world. All right. Well, I'll leave it there. Appreciate your time, Cam. And uh, thanks for the update. And I'm sure uh, the listeners will enjoy it. So speak to you later. No problem, Henry. Thank you for listening to Harvestable by AgriDigital. We hope you enjoyed this fireside chat and see you next week for another episode.